Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. So welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. Kate has got an injury, repetitive strain from not tennis, not no. mountain climbing, not cycling, but... Ironing. I mean, how, how first world is that? <laughs> I'm just like, this is Desperate I'm Housewives. Ni- yeah, I was about to say, I'm a 1950s housewife, aren't I? Yeah, it's my elbow and my wrist. But shush, you've got to be quiet about it because I've got my yoga training weekend coming up and I daredn't tell my yoga teacher because he'll make me stop Oh, he won't let you do any downward dogs, okay. No, so shh, okay. don't anybody tell anybody Let's that I've hurt that my wrist. Let's hope your yoga teacher isn't listening to the Fertility Podcast. Yeah, he uh, might be actually. Hi, Stefan. Well, it's been a crazy week um, last week with it being Fertility Awareness Week and there was lots going on and I suppose one thing I want to just say is that weeks are amazing. Fertility Awareness Weeks are amazing because lots of people do lots of interesting stuff in what they share and there's more press attention and there's just more conversations generally but it carries on you know this whole conversation it carries on three six five days a year so we do that on the podcast for you so especially if you switched off because that's some of the things that we were saying you might feel like doing you might have wanted to distance yourself it was really interesting in terms of um, activity. You were doing lots of corporate conversations, weren't you? I did, yeah. Well, I think we had about three webinars, which was fantastic, with our um, corporate organisations who were really keen to do stuff during Fertility Week to show their support. Um, so that was so interesting. And yeah, it's been a it's been a busy week, hasn't it? What have yeah. you been up to? Well, we were, with Fertility Matters at Work, we were launching what we were doing and we did a really good chat with Virgin Media 02 and the people were just saying that they'd learned so much and ultimately have to remember that whilst we're in this space and we talk about it all the time the whole point of awareness weeks is that there's plenty of people who don't know anything about this and it might be the very first time and if it's their workplace that have put something on which is what we were both finding last week then you know we can feel really proud of ourselves for being part of that educational piece and This whole series is about fertility issues in the workplace. With Fertility Matters at Work, we did announce that we've got this brilliant e-learning package that we've been sharing a lovely video about. If you haven't seen, I'll make sure that um, I put links to it in um, in the show notes. But we're carrying on our conversation talking about how important it is for organizations to just think about how their workforces are affected. And I think today's chat is something that I've certainly learned more about since I've been focusing on the workplace and we're talking about teaching and I know you've got some clients that are teachers. I actually worked with a client that was a teacher when I was doing my coaching last summer and she was having a really tough time of getting any understanding of what she was having to go through. It was her first round of treatment. Luckily she had success but I know she was finding it really tricky to just just first of all have the conversation and also just get any understanding when she wants she did decide to um, talk about it as to you know what she needed. And I think as you're here, there's a lot of work that needs to be done within the teaching sector, isn't there? Definitely. These are real issues that they're experiencing, yet there doesn't seem to be any support. And the rigidity of a school calendar and school week means that they don't have that flexibility to attend appointments. And it's so difficult. And I don't quite know how you get around that because obviously you 
a teacher needs to be in the classroom. So how do you give teachers the flexibility to attend their fertility appointments? Well, you're going to hear a conversation with four teachers. One of them, we lost her midway through. So not, um, not, she didn't die. She's still alive. Don't worry, don't panic. She's still well within the world of the living. But her internet dropped out. I think the other week was just a a gremlin-filled tech nightmare for us on the podcast because we had all sorts of issues that you don't need to know about. There's basically, there's two Claire's and one Claire disappears. So just don't get confused. She was there and then she goes. And it's a really interesting chat with lots of different perspectives. And if you are a teacher listening, hopefully it will, as well as giving you some examples of what other people are having to to navigate, it'll give you the resources because Caroline, who brought all these teachers together for us and her fertility issues in teaching account is doing amazing work. And we were so pleased to have her mm. have her talk to us. So have a listen, get a cuppa, and we would love to hear your thoughts on it. I'm really chuffed with what we're about to share with you because we're going to be speaking with four teachers about their experiences and what they are doing to improve things. So I'm going to introduce everybody. Kate and I are slightly overwhelmed by the number of people we've got to talk to on this podcast. I think it's the most (laughs) we've had. Would you say, Kate? Given the fact that I joined you late, I was a little bit shocked (laughs) to then see as many faces when I was only expecting Caroline. So this is great. It's very exciting. We're going to introduce, first of all, Caroline Biddle. Caroline a UK-based teacher who has worked as a secondary school drama teacher for nine years and is doing amazing work with her website fertility issues in teaching. And Caroline has brought together some of her colleagues that she's met through her community. We're going to be welcoming Claire Stewart-Hall, a coach who works with people around race, adoption, LGBTQ and the workplace. Claire adopted her children with her wife following multiple miscarriages, uh, also had to deal with adoption going wrong during lockdown that we're going to be hearing more about. We're going to be speaking with Nick Jessup, a secondary school teacher in the northeast of England. She's been teaching for 11 years and Nick has been trying to conceive for around five years and has just recently had a successful frozen embryo transfer, which is great news. Um, we're going to be hearing more from Jess and Claire Walker, who is a primary school teacher based in Kent, who has been very proactive working with her union to help change the conversation. So ladies, Thank you for your time. And we're really looking forward to hearing more about the experiences that you've had. And we're going to start, first of all, with with Caroline, because Caroline, I'm really keen to hear about your experience of going through treatments and how you had to move schools. And then we're going to hear more about the community that you've set up. So just tell us what you had to how, how what you had to endure. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, thank you for having me both. Um, well, first of all, for me, I think I went into it very naive. I assumed that I would be looked after. And by looked after, I mean, you know, paid leave to go to hospital visits and that it wouldn't be a problem. Uh, so I was quite shocked to find out there weren't any policies in place. And the first school I was at, the head teacher said to me that before every appointment, I would need to go and explain the details of that to her and then she would decide whether she would allow me to go to the appointment it just all seemed really backwards and uh, I, I didn't feel supported at all so after the first round of failed treatment I left that school moved to a different school where I was very honest with the head teacher before I applied for the job look I am planning on having a baby and I'm going through fertility treatment and he said well that's none of my business you're very welcome apply for the job I got the job and different experience I was allowed to go to all my appointments they were paid for 
And even though, you know, I was very supported at that score, I still couldn't shake that feeling of vulnerability that there isn't a policy here to protect me, that if I upset the head teacher one day or, you know, this is going on five years down the line, the treatment's still going on, is, it, is that support still going to be there? You know, I couldn't shake that feeling of what will I do then? So this really is where fertility issues and teaching stemmed from. Um, you know, working at two different schools with two different types of support, but the point was there was no policy. And I figured that if I struggled and felt this way, that there would be thousands of other teachers out there. And, you know, I do want to point out, you know, I don't believe that teachers have it any harder than anyone else in any other workplace. I think it's a unique environment for teachers that we can't swap shifts and we can't use annual leave and possibilities of six lessons in a day with 30 children or more in each of those lessons that you need to find cover for. And you do feel the pressure to find that cover and you're putting on your colleagues. They're the ones that have to step up and cover those lessons. So yeah, that's a little bit about myself and fertility issues and teaching. And we'll talk Thank more you. about the community because the way that you're sharing the information, I think is, is really important. And going around the group, Claire Stewart Hall, do you want to um, share your experience? I'm going to call you Claire number one. Claire rather number than, one. <laughs> that's okay. Claire Walker. Okay. So I was a vice principal in an inner city secondary school when I decided that I wanted to have children with my wife and we'd been together for a long time. And we'd spent ages trying to, you know, decide what was the best. Did we want to know the sperm donor? Did we want to go to a clinic? What did we want to do? It lost loads of time. I wish I'd known, if only I'd known. And I was a busy vice principal and I led over 100 teachers. And I had thought it had been a really inclusive school. You know, I'd done loads of work around some people are gay, get over it. I thought, and I had supported lots of people because of course, when you're a vice principal, when you're in leadership, you're in policy enactment. So you're some of the people who kind of makes it inclusive. Obviously, I didn't want to share with people that I that I was trying to get pregnant. And it can be quite hidden, I think, if you're in a same-sex partnership. And once we'd found a sperm donor who we were comfortable with, we then self-inseminated at home. And I had a miscarriage at work after splitting up a fight. So I was punched in the face. And then I began a miscarriage, but it was a missed miscarriage. So I don't know when it happened. I don't know whether it was just the stress of the job. There was just no flexibility at all. I was asked to come in. Then we had an Ofsted inspection. So I had rung my boss and told her on Friday, you know, I've, I've, had, I've miscarried and it was really traumatic. And on Tuesday, she rang me and said, can you come in? And I hate to ask but could you come in and, and undertake this Ofsted inspection? Which, of course, I did. And what happened to me was that my baby stayed then. It didn't move because I went, oh, quick, I need to, you know, all action stations. I guess what I, what had happened to me, because the policy didn't care for me in the way that Caroline has described, because I thought I spent so long explaining and making things inclusive for others, when, when it was my turn, I felt that I just lost my agency. I just lost any agency and I was really passive and really vulnerable, which I hadn't been in the rest of my career at all. So I now work with people as a coach to help and support them to kind of hold on to their agency and decide how they want to enact this thing that's happening to them. Claire, can I just ask out of interest, obviously you had that awful incident at work and then mm. you went on to miscarry. Mm. Did that result in any investigation into the incident? Which one, the miscarriage or the fight at school? The fight at school. The fight at school, it was seen as a really usual, you know, unfortunate thing. I was made to feel like you shouldn't have, you know, you shouldn't have stepped in. You know, you should have 
because you um, were pregnant because too. I because I was pregnant but I hadn't told anybody so it's really when you know that thing when you're pregnant at work and you don't want to you know I was the most senior person there so it was really challenging what was helpful about it I guess for me was that I'd always been a real workhorse so I'd always worked really 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 hard and thought that the organization owed me something um, so it was really good way of recalibrating myself that actually I had real cutoff points after that in terms of realizing that the that the institution wouldn't look after me at all and actually yeah. it was down to me and I became really I think when you're in a senior team and you're in teaching it's very much a team effort and you're encouraged to kind of look after each other cover for each other support each other I began to put a lot of boundaries in place mm. after the realization that you know, following when I, when I continued to have, I had natural cycle IUI, which which didn't work, but was, you know, very costly and hugely stressful. You know, I was told that it was the same as getting your boobs done. It was elective, elective surgery. That, that was yep. the phrase that was used to me by my head teacher. And I was absolutely horrified. I, I had no idea. So I think we have this idea that organisations are really inclusive, particularly schools, are meant to be really inclusive for children and families. But actually, when it comes to staff, it's a completely different matter. And because, because the union has become less powerful in lots of ways, there is no group, um, which is why I was really grateful to find Caroline and the work that she's doing. Mm, absolutely. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Claire, because that must have been just a horrid, horrid experience. Nick, we mentioned about your successful frozen embryo transfer uh, earlier, yeah. um, which is so exciting. Um, and you've had a different experience to Claire, which seems like it's been a more positive experience in your workplace. Do you want to share that? I think that the way that my schools handled things has been almost an example for other schools to follow. I feel incredibly lucky with how they've dealt with everything from day one. We have quite a, a strong female presence on the senior leadership team. And we have a presence of people who've gone through IVF on the senior leadership team as well. So I think there's a real understanding of what that actually includes. And right from the get go, I felt like I can be completely open at work. I don't have to justify any appointments. I just have to tell them that they're happening and they're authorised for paid leave. During the whole pandemic situation, we were told that if either of us caught COVID, our IVF would have to stop and be put on hold for three months. And my head went out of a way to make sure that I was as safe in my classroom as possible, extra measures put in place, that I was personally considered above and beyond the basic expectations that the, the policy that the school was given. And she would go out of her way to come and find me when rates were particularly high and check on my levels of anxiety and see if there was anything else that she could do to support me. Amazing. And do you think it? that that support then was because it was actually quite commonplace within, and, and I guess maybe quite unusual within your organisation that a number of your your colleagues had gone through IVF? Do you think that was the reason why it was supportive or were there other reasons? I think to some extent, absolutely, because that person was able to give a really clear insight into the trauma that I was putting my body through. But also, I just feel incredibly lucky to work for a leader who actively tries to understand the difficulties that our staff are going through and who is very person-centred because she does very outwardly believe that if she looks after her staff and supports them, that they'll want to stay. And there was a point a couple of years ago where I was looking to move up the ladder and looking to move away and I wasn't successful in job applications. And actually now I'm massively grateful for that because 
I've had that support network where I've stayed that I potentially wouldn't have had elsewhere. And before we come to you, Claire, Caroline, I just want to ask, how common is Nick's example? Are you hearing more of what you've described and what, what Claire's described? Is, is, is Nick quite an anomaly? Yeah, I'd say that Nick's story is an anomaly and that, you know, I've spoken to, or whether it's just the teachers who come forward to speak to me, speak to me because they do feel desperate, you know, but there's a teacher that I spoke to who, she lived in the, in Cornwall, so her nearest clinic was Bristol and it was a four, it was an eight hour round trip, sorry, so her trip, her visit to the clinic would start at 4am and and she wanted to apply for a deputy headship position, you know, she was an aspiring head teacher. And she was told by her head teacher, mm, no, it's not the right time for you because you're going through treatment and then you're going to have a baby eventually. You know, so that head teacher assumed that IVF would end in a in a pregnancy and, you know, just all this discrimination comes up. One of my up. current patients who I put in touch with you, actually, Caroline, hello, yeah. Charlotte, because I know that she's an avid listener of our podcast. Mm-hmm. She's got a really positive story to tell as well in, in where she actually approached her head and her head said look I'm going to be really honest with you I know nothing about this I've never come across this before please can you lead on developing guidance for right. the, the school which is fantastic isn't it that, that again another positive experience which quite frankly I, I see quite unusually and was she okay you know confident with delivering that guidance I mean because you do find that don't you that just because someone's been through treatment that leaders say oh we well, can you go and deal with that but not everyone's got that no, everyone wants to and why should they, if they exactly don't want to. yeah yeah I, I think she is to a certain extent which is which is good before we talk more about what needs to change claire two claire number two just share your your experience because i know you're proactively working with your union in in kent tell us tell us how it was for you mine was very similar to claire's experience other claire um my partner and i have been together um 12 years my partner's currently going through transition female to male and we've decided that we wanted to have children i always wanted to be really really open with my school so I just went to the head teacher thinking it would go down as a doctor's appointment and there would be no issues with me having my appointments at all but it was a completely different story. I remember it being very very formalised the first meeting I had to have with my head teacher and the finance manager at my school and they basically just sat me down and said we've spoken to the HR department of Kent and they've said that IVF treatment goes under as elective surgery like cosmetic surgery very similar to if you were going to have a nose job and as you can imagine (laughs) I was very very angry more than anything and upset and they just explained that it would be unpaid. My head teacher wasn't very educated in the procedure at all and therefore he kind of assumed that I would be able to pick and choose when my appointments were and that actually it didn't coincide with your menstrual cycle at all. So I went to the head of governors first of all to have a discussion about where I stood with this and she backed the head teacher and said absolutely it's unpaid we will ensure that you're unpaid by the hour. I've always worked really really hard for my school and it just made me feel undervalued completely that they were happy to take an hour at a time off of my work just so that I could get to a scan for example so I went to my union rep who've been really really good actually she went to one of the meetings and explained my upset about it all and they are looking into changing the special leave policy for Kent from now until January they're having a discussion because they want to add IVF in as a separate box so that it's not with 
cosmetic surgery and elective surgery. Thank she goodness. Also, yes, I know. She also had the dis- discussion about the Burgundy book, so where our policies come from, and that it's actually 20 years uh, that it hasn't been updated. So even the unions are not in the Burgundy book. So they're first of all looking to change the update for the unions and then have a look at some of the wording which included putting in something about IVF treatment. And I know it's a very long-winded process, but hopefully this will benefit other women, fingers crossed. So what was not a great experience for you has changed to something that could be quite positive for, for other people and hopefully for you going forward as well? I'm hoping so. I mean, after that first meeting, I was extremely upset and angry because there was no kind of sensitivity or empathy at all in the meeting and another teacher actually approached me straight after the deputy head and said I'm currently about to go through IVF treatment myself she hadn't told anybody and she said it had made her feel that she could speak up as well which was really lovely I mean my head teacher has now moved towards saying we will pay you but this it was a lot of argued conversations and explaining that we can go more down the union route if need be but I never wanted it to be like that. So talking about as you really well highlighted there Claire about thoughtlessness comments and discussions that go on I know Caroline on your insta feed and in your blog you talk about kind of striving for compassion and and getting rid of thoughtlessness when you're highlighting issues in fertility and can you share, Claire gave some great examples there, but can you share some other examples of the things that people say and the things that teachers have shared with you that they've been told that have just been so thoughtless? Gosh, where to begin? <laughs> uh... Sorry. <laughs> And if anybody else wants to just kind of contribute, yeah, things that, I know, yeah. you know, you know, often we hear, don't we, the, the, the thoughtless things that are yeah. said to w- women who are trying to conceive. What thoughtless things have been said in in the workplace? Um, I've had a few from my male head teacher, which he said, "Could you try and make sure that your scans are at a certain time in the day, or can you make sure that they're on a Wednesday because that's when uh, you've got your PPA time?" And having right. to try and explain to him that it doesn't work like that. I'm going by my menstrual cycle, not when it suits you he said that he would pay for one treatment but if I was looking at having 15 that would be a different story you know just the kind of completely it's just a total lack of understanding of what yeah. treatment is yeah completely and the you know the ones that I've heard is where the head teacher is offering the advice you know they know nothing about fertility treatment but you know that there's one example where the head teacher said well maybe and this is in the case of male infertility just get your tubes cleared, you know, you'll be all right. And then the old adoption, just adopt, you know, there's lots of children out there who need adopting. And it's not as easy to tell your head teacher to shut up because they, you know, they're your employer. So you just have to sit there and go, oh, right, okay, that's great. But we don't have to say that, but it's the whole nodding along. So yeah, you know, some teachers have expressed discomfort and frustration in, in having advice from their head teacher. And Claire, number one, um, just because I know that you were just talking about how it almost had caught you off guard, the lack of compassion that was shown to you <laughs> when you experienced what you did. And I know that you are, well, you mentioned you're working as a coach and, and you said that there you're undertaking a doctorate um, on race policy and, and schools. And I'm just curious as to whether there's been a shift. Um, I changed? don't currently work in schools. So once I, um, I had three consecutive miscarriages and then... My wife applied for us to become adopters, which I initially was furious about because it felt like 
she'd completely given up. But actually, in hindsight, there are many advantages, I think, if you're in a same-sex partnership to having no biological connection to your child. Because I've seen lots of same-sex couples who have really struggled with somebody having a one mum having a, a biological connection and, and not the other one. Um, but I think what, what all of these stories demonstrate, and certainly from my analysis of policy, is that, as Stephen Ball says, policy is interpreted in schools. So um, as some people might champion a particular aspect of policy, some people might relabel it, um, some people might do pick and mix adoption, like we'll have that bit or not that bit or this bit. Um, and that's what's dangerous, isn't it? Because if you have just a small group of people who are from a similar demographic at the top um, of an organisation, it means that actually they are more likely um, to... Uh, do things based on their experience and interpret policy based on their own experience. Um, and Caroline and I had a really interesting conversation about whether or not uh, there was a gender um, angle. And actually, the most supportive people that I had found were men who were um, had experience of um, adoption and had experience of fertility issues, and women who uh, heterosexual women who had no experience of fertility issues. Actually, that 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 was a real challenge for me as a lesbian. Um, and I had things that you know questions like you know, why are you bothering? You're going to be ahead. You know, you've done MPQH, you've done the National Professional Qualification of Head Teachers. It's really going to get in the way of your career. And in the end, I left. So I realised after my adoption leave, there was just no way, there was no possibility of flexible working. I'd fought so hard to have my child. There was just no way that I could, I could go back to education. Uh, but now I'm in the kind of policy analysis end of my doctorate, which I finished next year. I think it really demonstrates how hidden this is and how very quickly you can become an outsider. And I, I felt as though I had had to integrate myself as a lesbian in the workplace anyway and try and kind of diffuse lots of situations where I would be stereotyped or my family would be stereotyped. But this pushed me even further out because it was seen as really odd. You know, where would I get a sperm donor? And I had really intrusive questions like, do you know the person? Can't your brother donate? You know, all of these bizarre, why can't Ros have children? All of these different things that it was seen as an option, I guess. It's seen as an option rather than a right. And I felt like it was my right to have to have children and yeah. and it is I, I, I really believe right, and yeah. I believe we have to push back there has to be a boundary put down like this is where you don't get here you don't get into my space actually these are my decisions and you go, don't get to negotiate them with me I can't believe um, when you were asked why are you bothering whether that question would mm, ever be asked to somebody in a heterosexual mm, relationship who had just had a child and was maybe talking about a second child. You know, it's like, how can that be mm, fair to even to mm, even pose that question? Caroline, I just wanted to talk to you about the training that you're now delivering. Obviously, you've taken a, a different tack in your career and you're delivering various training to organisations to really get this message across to schools that we need to we need to be working differently. Yeah. So can you just explain a little bit about the training that you're doing? With schools, the training there's training for HR because you know, so it depends on the kind of school you work at. And some schools have HR departments and other schools the HR departments are off site at local authority. So if it's an academy, HR tend to be on site and teachers go and talk to HR about you know the leave that they need. And HR aren't clued up in Tilly's treatments. There's training for HR, for school governors, you know, head teachers are accountable to the school governors, which is why that training is important. Claire explained that she approached her chair of governors who's backed the head teacher, and that was probably because they 
didn't have that education, they weren't informed about fertility treatment. So it's, that's why it's important in training for governors. And yet school leaders and colleagues, um, because, you know, the, there's all sorts of things that happen in teaching where we have, I don't know if this is in other workplaces, but baby showers and announcements where people will announce the pregnancies and, and then like hundreds of people are applauding. And yeah, so it's, it's raising awareness for the different people who, who work in schools, you know, the different role. And Nick, obviously you shared a positive example. And when we're talking about this kind of training, I mean, are you in your environment thinking, okay, we've got this all covered? Or are you being quite proactive and saying, you know, we need to make sure that new people coming in are, are aware of this because obviously you want to lead by example? I think that they're doing a pretty good job in leading by example. I mean, after my first fresh cycle, I ended up being promoted and got a new line manager. And I was a little bit anxious about approaching that situation with him, particularly because he was a male as well. But obviously, he needed to know what was going on. Actually, I didn't need to worry because things had clearly been filtered down. And I now feel comfortable discussing situations with him. I think that they have got it covered. I think that perhaps other staff don't realise quite how supportive school are. And I think sometimes particularly there's a lot of cloak and daggers around the infertility community and being afraid to speak up because you're not sure how it will be perceived. And I think if anything, when I'm talking to my colleagues and things like that about our current IVF situation, because I am very open about it at work, my thing is to to really big up how school are dealing with it so that other people who might find themselves in a similar situation feel like they can come forward as well. And actually through those conversations, I found that an awful lot of my colleagues have dealt with various infertility issues and had similar positive experiences at work as well. Caroline, with what you've created with the fertility issues in, in teaching community, there's obviously lots of dynamic conversations happening all the time. And I know that you're always asking people to to share experiences and you're, you're sharing blog posts on a, on a weekly basis with guidance on starting these difficult conversations and all the support that you know, you're know you creating is very proactive from the interactions that you're having. And I'm just interested to, to know whether you're feeling that there is a change, whether people are using the information that you're sharing, because that's what this whole conversation is about we're trying to encourage people to advocate for themselves to use this shared knowledge of how we need to educate people because we're so aware that they have such a lack of understanding of all that's involved in treatment all the different paths to parenthood Claire you talked about the whole comments about adoption and and we've got all these different scenarios that that we're all having lived experience with are you getting feedback that with people taking on your advice that they are managing to to move forward or is there still resistance because people are there's such a lot of change that needs to happen, isn't there? Absolutely. I think with teaching, it is a case of work, the workplace lottery. So Nick has, has won the lottery. You know, she's got a supportive leadership team. So it's, it is the workplace lottery and the teachers don't know if they're going to win that lottery until they've had that first, that initial conversation with their head teacher. So a lot of teachers will contact me and say, I need to have this conversation. I don't know how to go about it. So I will send them a resource to take into the meeting with their head teacher, which so they don't have to explain the whole process of fertility treatment. And, you know, I've supported teachers with that initial email. What does that look like? What what can you include in the email? So, you know, so teachers do feel a lot more confident going into that meeting. And I find that the feedback I'm getting is, you know, teachers are coming out of the meeting and saying, okay, I do feel like I've got what I wanted. So there's one teacher I spoke to the other week and she wanted to work part-time she didn't think she could go through another round 
of fertility treatment working full time so she went into that meeting and was able to um, arrange working reduced hours which worked for her and so you know I always say to teachers before you go into that meeting think about what you want what do you want to gain from this conversation you know a lot of the teachers come out and and it it has been a positive conversation but they don't know you know it's the scariest part I think one of the scariest parts of fertility treatment is having that initial conversation and I think Kate and I have spoke about that before we have yeah and ladies there's something that I want to ask you because this is a something that I'm completely intrigued about with my own patients and I feel that there's a dissertation somewhere in me um, and I would love your opinion on this I see a lot of teachers like a disproportionate amount of teachers come to me for consultations to help them conceive now is this because stress in the workplace or is this because you are naturally inquisitive and you want to find answers what do you think good question go Jay. Um, go go nick <laughs> it's all right um my consultant at the their hospital actually said the same thing at our first appointment that she was finding that more and more teachers were coming for infertility treatment um and i found that quite reassuring in that i wasn't on my own but also quite shocking because what is it about the job that leads us to have such a, a, for there to be such a disproportionate number of people in our profession seeking fertility treatment? I mean, I personally have always known that there were likely to be issues with fertility moving forward from from quite a young age. Um, But I did find that comment particularly shocking when I heard it. And and having spoken to a lot of my colleagues since we've been going through fertility treatment, it's amazing how many people just down the corridor have done Clomid cycles, have had multiple miscarriages, who some of them feel that they can't take the time off work because they're so they're so stressed and they're in such an environment that they can't take the time to look after themselves when they desperately need it. And I just I find it absolutely shocking how many women come out of the woodwork in the teaching profession and say that when you start asking the question and you start opening up about it so that's what I find really interesting because I I just can't I'm trying to work out you know is it the stress or is it the fact that you are naturally I mean if you think about one in six individuals will struggle with fertility issues so is is it more than one in six in your schools or is it that it is one in six and you naturally seek advice and support earlier because that's in your nature as teachers? You want to learn, you want to you want to find the answers. Is that, what do you think? There are five of us and we're six of us in our department and two of us have undergone IVF and one had multiple fertility issues as well. So about 50% of our department have really all struggled female. over the years, all female about 50% over the years of the small department. It's a female-heavy is, workforce as well. You know, 75% yeah. of teachers are female. And, you know, there's, there's no getting around that it is a stressful mm-hmm. career. But then, you know, I don't want to take the light off, you know, that there's lots of other careers that are stressful. I don't know what it is about teaching. It's certainly a vocation. And Claire, who was talking earlier, said that, you know, she felt that she did deserve to be paid for belief of fertility treatments. And, and certainly as teachers, it's not an eight till four 
job you know you get there early you set up your classroom and then you stay with children afterwards or you stay for meetings afterwards so it's it's closer to a 10 hour day than it is an eight hour day in teaching so whether that does have something to do with it Kate. Well we know that the flexibility is so key when you're trying to navigate your way through treatment and like you've said if there's nobody to get cover with which just adds to the stress but then we also know and I know you're saying it's 75 percent female heavy workforce that this is a 50 50 male female issue so it'd be interesting to know whether I mean have you had any men contact you about any issues I haven't no I was talking on another podcast previously a few months ago and and there was a male teacher on there who had been through fertility treatment and he was the only yeah he's the only male teacher that that has sort of spoken up and he spoke from the point of view that he he was frustrated that he couldn't attend the appointment even though it, you know it was male infertility he couldn't attend all the appointments because it's well, it's the women isn't it that have to attend all the fertility appointments even though it can be male infertility and he couldn't be there for the appointments and he was very frustrated that he couldn't be there to support his wife I think there is also a, a retention crisis in teaching. You know, 38,000 teachers left in 2019, the teaching profession, and the majority of them were women. And I think that because it's been, you know, we've had 10 years of austerity, I'd be interested to know whether or not those figures have changed. Um, in Because I think that, you know, if you're a teacher, if you're a main scale teacher, between eight when you're expected to be in school generally to and you're not expected to leave school till you know at the earliest quarter past four with a raised eyebrow probably you have three hours a week where you're not engaged and one of them can be taken for cover so I never used to go to the toilet you know when I stopped teaching I used I realized I could actually go to the toilet because I used to save the toilet and literally go before and then because you've got 20 minutes and in that 20 minutes you have to check you may have to change your classroom you have to get all of your stuff out pack it all away so you become and so I describe it as kind of boom and bust so in terms of the rhythm of your body and what somatically that's doing to you is that you have these long periods of extreme anxiety and and also the culture is performativity you know you're inspected by Ofsted you're inspected by not in every single school but the wider frame is around performativity you're expected to perform and there are serious consequences from 2010 onwards particularly if you don't perform and so that level of anxiety you know you're on break duty you're on lunch duty you know you can be taken for cover in one of those three hours so it is really you're hyper vigilant you have to be really alert all the time and it's not really conducive to relaxing <laughs> you know my after my um IUI or insemination when I went to the the women's clinic in Cardiff they would say you know you need to relax which is like absolutely preposterous I've got to go back I'm on lunch duty and and of course for for me because I paid you know over a thousand pounds to import sperm eventually for it to be kind of really potent that cost me you know the better part of fifteen thousand pounds because so actually it has consequences if I was a you know a woman who did not have my privilege you know and we haven't talked about race today but there are plenty of, of black and brown women who you know are avoiding stereotypes of being lazy in school or seen as not making a contribution and don't have the access to those resources to be able to have that um so I think it's it and then you have long periods of time when you're not so it's quick try and get pregnant in the, in the 
nowadays, yeah. which seems like, you know, it seems like madness. I think some kind of regulation. I think women are, are kind of soaking up a long period of kind of austerity that has hit schools. And you're, and of course, there's a huge empathy with the children in the community. So you don't want to not be there um, mm. to support the children. We're in really understaffed schools. So I think that's part of the frame that I think is influencing the choices that people are making. Claire, I would like to just pick up on that, the race conversation that you just mentioned, Mm. because I am very aware that we are all white women talking about this. And we know from previous conversations we've had on on the podcast that access to fertility treatment and fertility education amongst black and Asian women is, I mean, the percentage, Kate, can you remember the stat of the percentage of women who were even having treatment? It's so low compared to the number of, of white women. And when we talking about in the teaching profession you're talking about other issues that might impact people to then add in this whole trying to work out what you're going to do about starting your family it just feels like such a huge mission to try and overcome and I just wondered whether you feel positive about if there is this stronger piece about support around women's reproductive health in the workplace that women from all backgrounds will then feel that they have their backs covered if they are wanting to do it because we know that there's such there's such obstacles anyway help people understand what they're what they're eligible for I I don't think any woman has come here today and said actually it was just me and my school yeah Um, actually what there's an acknowledgement that these are structural issues aren't they they're structurally and they're intersectional they're class-based you know if I was living in a council house on an estate I wouldn't have the same access to resources as as I would living in my you know semi-detached house in Bristol these issues are structural issues and so that until they're changed and that you can have some give as in Nick's case but when those people leave what what will be left you know where does it impact in structures and that's what my work is about to kind of think about the way that structures affect different people and until we can kind of acknowledge that that actually if you're a black or brown woman and you're experiencing fertility issues and you can't actually access um, the same resources as a privileged white woman we can't make choices about it how can you make choices about it unless we actually open up the conversation whilst it remains hidden it remains actually in with women (laughs) and actually it needs to be moved into structures to try and change it and so there are lots and lots of people doing loads of equality diversity and inclusion work to try and get people to look at policy Uh, I know Angie Brown's doing some fantastic work and integrity coaching are doing some great work to actually look at how your filter might be in the way actually yeah. in leadership and I know that my own filter has been in the way you know as a woman where I uh, and, and as a white woman and until we can kind of work in that way and acknowledge that we can't make decisions about it because we're because it's about power isn't it it's about kind of I was quite interested in the language earlier when somebody said oh my 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 boss let me go yeah he let me go <laughs> to have access to I mean it, where are we are we in Gilead yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just absolutely bizarre. No, but and we I think are told, are we... aren't we, Claire? Sorry to interrupt. We are told by our unions that it is at the head teacher's discretion. That's where we stand. That mm. the union can't help us. It is you do have to ask permission. That is the language we're told to use. Mm. That's the way it is. Which is, you know, all the more reason 
for change going forward and you know and Claire and mm-hmm. I've spoke about coming together to create a workshop for you know Claire from her expertise and then me from mine and combining that going into school there's a bit of a powerhouse to deliver this mm. training you'd definitely be a force to reckon with for sure <laughs> and ladies I mean there's so much more that can be said and we haven't got the, the time to do it right now but we will ensure that people can find fertility issues in teaching we'll put all the links on the show notes and if there's any other resources that you want to share um, if you're wanting people to kind of get in touch to share their voice I know that's what you're already encouraging Caroline but Claire if the work that you know you're doing Doing, you're looking for more people to come forward and, and share then hopefully with what we're doing with this conversation we can encourage people because ultimately we, we know if we can have that collective voice and just keep pushing forward it's the only way that we can try and have that change so ladies Definitely. thank you so much for talking with us thank today you. thank you right. thank you so i mean the, we could have as i said talked for so much longer on that and i feel i i i feel like well i hope we've done it justice but i i feel like there's so much uh, that needs to be taken into consideration. And I think that's the same with any of these conversations that we're going to be having about the workplace. There's so many different ways that this needs to be approached because schools are so different, people's needs are so different, but the key thing that we know we need is more compassion, more thoughtfulness, more flexibility if possible. But hearing from a teacher's schedule, it almost seems impossible to try and fit in going to appointments or trying to get your head around what you need in terms of not having a stressful time hearing what we've just heard yeah it's fascinating isn't it and you know I think what's really interesting is teaching obviously as we talked about is a a female dominated industry but there are other female dominated industries that equally must be noticing this and have the same issues so it'd be so interesting if if more organizations come out saying that this is a concern for them among that group of people isn't it I mean, I know in the research that we've done around this conversation, it is predominantly women that we're talking to about Mm. the kind of experiences. But like you say, it'd be interesting to see if there are other industries where it is more predominantly a female Mm. issue. I mean, all we can hope for is that by sharing this conversation with you and signposting you to Caroline and the work that she's doing with her fertility issues in teaching, Insta and the website we'll put as well in, in the show notes is that if you are a teacher, then you know that there are some resources that you can use to help you have these conversations because we both know Kate and I in the conversations that we've had with Caroline that you've just heard, but also just from seeing the stuff that she's sharing that it's really helping. And and any time you've got somewhere to signpost people too if you know any teachers if you're listening just out of interest and you've got any friends please do tell them you know what there is available for them because it's still as we we, we were hearing language like hidden it's still so hidden Mm. and so triggering when you're working with children you know when you're in this place but we hope that it's been really useful for you whilst we continue to share our fertility matters at work series please do go to the fertilitypodcast.com website and share your thoughts we're going to have another little snippet here now from one of you that has got in touch Hello, my name's Annika. I wanted to tell you about my experience with my workplace. So back in 2018, I actually had an ectopic pregnancy. Um, All of a sudden, I had to go off um, and have surgery. I was off work for about three weeks. I got back to work. My first day back, my boss didn't even ask me how I was. I made absolutely certain all the paperwork and sick forms were done within minutes of being back. Didn't get asked how I was or how I was coping at all so following that I struggled to concentrate I struggled with tiredness I just struggled to see the point in in working you know when my thoughts were I you know I could have died it was really serious so I struggled 
My colleague then went on holiday, so I got left by myself. There's two of us in my team, and I could not cope with two workloads. My boss's boss then, instead of talking to me like a human, shouted at me for about an hour about how I was incapable of doing my job and how it was really clear that I was leaning on my colleague and that I couldn't do my job with absolutely zero consideration for what I had been through just a month to six weeks before. It was awful. Um, And then following that, the lift at work broke after the surgery and I couldn't walk up five floors. So I got moved. I got sat on the ground floor by myself, which did not help with my workload because all I did is get chased. All I did is, how are you getting on with this? How are you getting on with that? How are you getting on with that? And I, they didn't give me a minute to do any work. Um, two more horrible meetings with my boss's boss. I, I've never been so upset and disgusted at a human just for talking to someone like that after what they could have been through. And she knew what I'd been through. I decided I couldn't work there anymore. So I actually quit. Well, I found a new job first, but very quickly. And I quit and I found another job. And when I was leaving, I actually went to HR at at that workplace. And I told them that I felt like I'd been bullied out of my job and that I'd been treated unfairly and that I had struggled and I didn't, none of my circumstances got taken into consideration. And all they had to say was, oh, sorry that you feel like that. So they didn't care at all. And then now at my new job, I've been there for three years. And I actually get paid time off for my IVF treatment which I'm now having to go through so that is fantastic I haven't told my colleagues what I'm going through but um, my boss knows and there's a lot of support and it's even in the policy that you know time off sick time you log it as sick time basically when you've got an IVF appointment but um, yeah my experience of consideration for the workplace was was not a good one unfortunately and um, I left my job over it anyway love the podcast you're doing great work Thanks. Don't forget that this whole series is focused on highlighting the issues that we have in the workplace and the fact that the Fertility Matters at Work account exists for you to get more information uh, about how you can better have these conversations and be supported at work. So do go and follow at Fertility Matters at Work. You can also get in touch with Kate directly on your fertility nurse on Instagram. And be sure to check out the show notes as well, because especially if you're on the move, we'll make sure that all the links that you need uh, are there. We'd also love it if you fancy leaving a review. If you're finding this particular series helpful, you can do that in your favourite podcast app. Always so great to hear from you. And it really helps us know that we're kind of on point with the conversations that we're sharing. So we'll be back again next week. Make sure you've subscribed so you don't miss anything. Thank you as always for your support. And until the next time, 